Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy. You're listening to Achieve Wealth Podcast, where we talk about value-add real estate investing. And we interview a lot of commercial real estate operators where you can grab a pen and a paper and start learning. So today we have Jake and Gino from uh, Wheelbarrow Profit. Jake and Gino owns uh, around 1,500 units where thousands of that units uh, were done by solely by them without any syndication. And they have another 400 units which they started syndication. And they primarily focus on Southeast market. Uh, right now, the deals are in uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. So, hey guys, welcome to the show. James, how you doing? Nice to be here. Hey, thank you for having us. Yeah, did I miss out anything uh, in terms of introducing you guys? Well, I mean, for me, I've got six kids. I mean, uh, that's probably my, my biggest achievement to date. Um, I live down in Florida. I relocated two years ago from New York to Florida. Um, I'm a certified life coach. I think that's a really big accomplishment for me. And I've got a fantastic partner on the other end. So that's what, that's what I guess, made my success, having an amazing partner, having an amazing person pushing me and telling me, hey, Gino, we need to buy this deal. Hey, Gino, we need to write this book. And I'm like, come on, another thing. So having a great partner really uh, it will excel you in life. Did I leave anything out, Jake? You, we're, we're economic deserters. We, <laughs> we left the high-tax Northeast for, for a better life of sunshine and rainbows. And I think we found it, my friend. Uh, no, it's just, it's, it's been a great ride. You know, Gene and I back in 2011 started really looking hard at multifamily. We wanted yield. We wanted something that was going to pay us every month. We had very challenging jobs at the time. I was under threat of layoff all the time. Gina was in the back of the kitchen trying to make sure that he could get dishwashers in every night. And ultimately, we knew there was more to life than what we were experiencing. And we, we sought out to make it happen for ourselves. So we got into the first deal. It was a, it was a tough one. It was a 25 unit. And we've never looked back. We've, we've done multifaceted, multifamily you know, ever since. We have four core businesses. We have property management. We have education. We have a mortgage brokerage. We have an investment business. And you know, over 20 holding companies uh, to go along with that. So we really look at multifamily you know, being the place to be because we know that it's a basic human need. And we've grown our brands all within the multifamily space. And it's been, a, uh, again, just a fantastic ride. We've, we focus a lot on culture, scale, and, and growing the business day in and day out. We, you know, I had an epiphany moment a few years ago that we were, we were working too hard and we were running around doing everything. We call it the I'm a mentality. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do everything. I'm a could only go so far. So I'm had to bring some friends. So Jake and Gino brought some friends on and we started scaling up and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we got some really great people on the team. I think that's one of the things I get, uh, so, you know, some, so much of the enjoyment out of because I see these these people coming on early with us and they just grow and they, and they excel and then we've, we've you know created a home for them. So and James, more importantly, that only started with a twenty five unit property with twenty seven thousand dollars from Jake, myself, and my brother Mark. So that's the amazing thing, you know, talking about where to start. I'm too young. I'm too old. The market's too hot. I don't have enough money. Those are all myths that people want to tell themselves. What they're lacking is they're lacking innovation. They're lacking education. They're lacking creativity. And they're lacking mastermind. Those are the things that I like 
lacked when I use those excuses. And if you want to use those excuses, that's fine. But we have so many Jake and Gino community members that are in their 20s and their 60s, and they're, they're going out and they're doing deals. So if you want to get into multifamily, you need to educate yourself first. Yeah, very interesting. You guys are really, really vertically integrated. I mean, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, you guys own property management, asset management, and also the uh, reno- you have a renovation team, and you also do some agency debt uh, representation, right, to the dust lenders, I guess, for mm-hmm. the agency, which is really good. I mean, I have the first three, but not the last one. Um, but the question is, I mean, how did you guys do this thousand units on your own? Because I can tell you there's not many people who have done like even like, uh, what, 300 units on their own, right? Uh, everybody syndicates, right? Including me, I syndicate. I used to have own, uh, I mean, I still own some single family, which I'm selling off right now, but, but all my deals are syndicated and a lot of people I talk to are syndication, right? So, but how did you guys go from that 25 units to 1,000 units on your own? We weren't that smart, first of all. We thought that's how you had to do it, to be completely honest with you, because yeah. we said, hey, we got to buy a deal. We'll buy the deal. We buy it right. The three-step framework, if you see the wheelbarrow behind me, it's buy right, manage right, and finance right. You need to do all three of those. We were buying them right, and we're still buying the assets right. It's truly important that you need to buy the asset right. So we buy these assets. We refinance the assets, and we wouldn't go and buy Ferraris. We'd actually repurpose that money into the next deal. Um, what really propelled us was we bought a 281-unit property. It was $11 million. It was owner finance. The owner basically said, here you go. Here are the keys. We actually had about $120,000 come back to us at closing. Now, that doesn't happen every day, but that happens when you're ready and when you are integrated and you know the business model and you know to take advantage of that. That really, really propelled us because we were able to refinance that property. So to date, we've refinanced over $9 million of our proceeds. We've rolled that right back into the business and we continue to grow that way. But James, to be honest with you, if we'd been syndicating two or three years ago, we'd probably be at the 5,000 unit mark, which is maybe that's great. That's not great, but that wasn't our path. We started syndicating back in November because we saw we could create another multiple stream of revenue, create the asset management company, the syndication company for syndication. And I had five or 600 investors on our platform because of the Jake and Gino brand. I just couldn't utilize them. I didn't have the space. So we brought on another partner to start that business. And that's been a fantastic business. We've done two syndications. We've got another deal in the contract right now, and we're continuing to grow that. And James, as you know, they feed each other. It's just wonderful. You go to an event, you speak, you do podcasts, the education can sell education, sell books, and then you know what? You're positioning yourself as an authority leader. And on top of that, you're bringing investors on board and you're teaching people how to do it and you're getting deal source. And it's just it's just such a symbiotic, beautiful relationship. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because, I mean, right now, like, for example, I was told once, I mean, you can do syndication, but your end goal is to own some of the units, right? So, mm-hmm. but you guys are going the other way, right? We so, started backwards, James. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I'm going to tell you something. And this is, this is what I, I want your listeners to hear because... It's, it's the kind of thing where a lot of people are afraid of non-recourse financing. Mm-hmm. And yes. I'm going to tell you right now, non-recourse financing has made me rich and it's made Gino rich. Fortune sides with him who dares. We took a chance on it. We, we couldn't even get into agency debt back when we first started. We were doing a lot of deals that would have been qualified for what is now known as you know, Freddie Mac SBL. Okay. We took, we took on the recourse debt. We had a lot of battles on the, on the front end with the banks. I, I say a lot of times, it's just as hard negotiating the deal as it is negotiating the deal with the banks a lot of these times. So we went in, we, we fought some good battles. We bought right, as Gino said, we managed these assets right. And then we were able to take the financing and it, we, sometimes we financed a deal once with a community bank. And then sometimes we you know, refinanced it again and send it out to non-recourse financing over time. 
So we just, we really did, we focused on, on buying these things right, adding a ton of value to them, and then extracting the value, holding the assets long-term, not selling them, keeping the cost segregation going. Uh, and really, the, my view of these is that we're going to buy them, we're going to manage them right, and the party's going to keep going because we're not going to sell them off if we're buying a deal in-house. If we're buying a deal in-house, we're going to keep adding assets to it, keep the cost set going, and, uh, and keep that party rolling. So. But what's your end goal with syndication? I know syndication can grow very quickly in terms of unit counts, right? but your share does. It's not, but it's not about just growing the unit counts for us, right? We want, we want to have a tool in the toolbox that fits every deal. Okay. You know, we, we were talking before we got on the, on the, on the uh, show today that we just bought a, a very hairy deal. It was 26 per unit. People were not being taken care of. It's 146 units. We have 40 vacancies right now. We didn't syndicate. That was not a good deal necessarily for us to syndicate. But I know over time, that deal is going to pay us back very handsomely. So is that a deal that we want to syndicate? Probably not. We're doing a deal right now. It's very clean. It's going to be a nice cash-on-cash return right down the alley for syndication. So we just want to, you know, any deal that comes our way, we want to, and if it's going to cash flow, there's going to be opportunity. We want to have a vehicle or a tool to take that down. And syndication is just one of those tools. Find it in-house is, is, is another one. So, and I think the opportunity we have now uh, to piggyback off of that is where we are in the market, in the market cycle right now. You just got to be careful where you're buying. You have to be buying assets in pretty good locations with pretty good rent growth because when the economy slows down, you want to be able to continue to have your occupancy in around 94, 95%. You don't want to see rents dropping. So you got to be careful what you're buying. When we've been buying these assets three and four years ago, no, the opportunity was more of those value adds. Now there's less of an opportunity for value adds because those prices are already built up. I mean, we were bought an asset in November at 45 a door. Two years ago, it would have been 30 a door, but that's where we are in the market. So um, with that value add, it's very difficult because you've got to put more loan to value. So you've got to put more money down on these deals. And there's more risk because going out 18 months or 24 months, if you're not able to make those preferred payments, you know they're going to come knocking at you. And then the investor is going to say, well, why didn't we make the draw this this quarter? Well, we're trying to reposition it for the long game. And that's the thing with multifamily, everybody out there. Multifamily is a long game. It's number one, about debt and taxes. Number two, it's about having a business. If you're not going to run the business, somebody has to run the business. And number three, it's a long game. You're not going to get paid today or tomorrow. You're going to be the farmer planting the seed, watering the seed, and waiting six months or 12 months for it to grow. That's why it's hard to get in the multifamily because people love transactions. This is not so much a transaction-based business unless you start getting into it. And then a year or two years down the road, you can create some transactions by refining or by selling or by trading up. But when you start out, it's hard because it's that instant gratification. Yeah. James, I want to say one thing that yeah, I just piggyback on Gino here. And what he's saying is many of you out there may be syndicating deals and, and we love syndicating. We love buying deals ourselves. Just keep in mind the syndicators that are the most successful are that they understand that the work starts after you bought the deal. Just because you're syndicating, you need to have that one-on-one -on -one connection, even if you're doing third-party management. I know James, was, we were talking earlier that uh, you know he runs his own uh, property management group. That's when the real work starts, folks. So, you know, whether you're syndicating, whether you're buying in house, tee it up, make sure you're financing it right, make sure you're buying it right. But then that managed piece, just because, you know, you may not be running direct uh, property management, you need to be having those weeklies with that property management and making sure you're nailing your KPIs. Yeah. I also think that the managed right portion makes the most money. Do you guys agree with that? I totally agree with that 100% <laughs> because that's where you're going to increase your NOI. You're either going to increase the income, decrease the expenses, create systems, and be able to scale. But the problem that Jake and I had when we hit 650 units, we were still, I was just telling somebody this the other day, we were still using rent post. 
And we, 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 we fumbled upon that folio, and that was the biggest aha moment. All of a sudden, we said to ourselves, it doesn't matter how many units you add onto your portfolio, if you're not managing them efficiently and, and extracting as much value from them, that's going to be a big problem. So I think ManageRite is, is, is the most important. It's ongoing. There's more to it, though, to James' yeah. point, and here's why. Once you buy the deal, there's no going back. Yeah, you, you paid the money. You paid that price. That is fixed. That's why we always talk about the back leg of the wheelbarrow being fixed. If you finance the deal for 10 years, and, and I don't care if you have, you have stepped down or you, you have yield uh, maintenance decisions, <laughs> whatever you want to say, you're fixed. What other levers do you have to pull? It's the management arm of it. That's the piece that you're going to be able to exactly right. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why I always tell my friends and my followers in my Facebook group and all the people who comes to me, you know, the operations where you make the most money. Because before you buy the deal, you are putting a performer, right? You think it's going to be like that. You think it's going to be like that. You think it's going to be 3% operation. You think insurance is going to be this much, right? So it's a lot of assumptions. But once you close on the deal, it's a real game, right? You are like, hey, now, now you have every tool in the box to really Strap control. Up. Mm-hmm. That's where you really make <laughs> the money. And you, if you really work hard on the operation, you can make at least you know two three percent more than if you give it to a third party management because third party management they have a lot of other issues. It's not their baby, and you're not the only customer here. We're the only customer, baby. That's yeah. it. So. <laughs> and they have a different profit center that they need to really make sure you know. Works and we won't take on other clients. We only manage our stuff because it's it's you're you're absolutely right. We're managing our baby. We're making sure our babies are doing well. There's little soldiers out there working for us. We wanted to keep returning so. Yeah, yeah. And so some decisions, if you, if you look at it, when you own your own operation, you can I can decide today, let's say my occupancy drop, I can reduce my staff today just by a phone call, right? And reduce my expenses as well because my income is reduced, right? So, but you can't do that on a third party, right? You are like yeah. at the mercy of them, right? So I agree with that. And, and you're also controlling it. You're, you're controlling, you can add on more employees. You can actually say to yourself, hey, listen, I want to implement this system. I want to raise my rent. So you can have real time. That's what's great about it. Yeah, that's what we love Even about. think about the marketing piece. They may be using, you know, apartments or they may be using roof or whatever they're using. And you tell mm-hmm. them, well, I want you to stop using that. <laughs> well, that might be that might be two or three emails or a week long conversation to actually get that pulled out. And they may tell you to fly a kite. Yeah. Here, we just yeah. kill it. Yeah, we right? just kill it. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. There's no question. So, yeah, yeah. I have to give credit to my wife. She runs the property management side of it. She runs the property she, management. She, she, she must be a strong woman. She is a very strong woman. <laughs> so we should, we should have her on the show. We should. <laughs> She's at the property today, so. <laughs> right. So I run the under. I do the underwriting and investor relationship and acquisition, and she does the construction and property management. And you need a lot of. Uh, You're taking skills. it easy, then, man. Come on, we got to get, get her on the My show. My work <laughs> is a lot in the front end, right? But once you close, it's no work, and and I do help out a lot too, right? So. So let's let's go back to a bit more details on the syndication versus owning, right? Because this is something that I've been thinking, right? Because hey, you know, so I'm I was like you guys, right? When I beginning, I did a lot of short term loan, bridge loan, and we make a lot of money for us. And it's not a I syndicated, but my investor was so happy because we so much we made so much money. But now with the market being at peak, and there's not many deals out there, you know, we have to still get you know good cash flowing. We still do value add deal, but no more deep value add deals, right? So, so I presume that's what you guys are doing, right? Still value add deal, but no more like deep value add when you syndicate. No, yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're, even the one we just did, we we're talking about that we did in December. It was 26 a door and we're mm-hmm. going in new decks, all new interiors, and, and we have a, a ton of vacancies. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. The key mm-hmm. is though, since we have our own management group, I don't want to take on five of these things at once because it's a, it's okay. a resources. 
uh, issue at that point. We have resources to do one real heavy value add at a time. So mm-hmm. we're fine having one of those in the mix. But if you start stacking them, you know, you've really got to add team members and that's when it gets even more challenging. So for our size and scale right now, I'm very good with, you know, one at a time, getting it kind of rolled up. And, and we, 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 we kind of were just coming off the tail end of another one and then we ramped up into this one. So it's, uh, it's been working out for us. So the problem, the problem with this deal, not the problem, the opportunity with this deal is we're, we're using community financing. We got an 85% LTV with loan to cost. So we've got 80% of the loan proceeds going into doing the CapEx work. We're going to refi that property and bring it to agency once it's all done. So there's the value there. And the other thing was where we bought it, we were able to have economies of scale. It's near a couple of other our other assets. So we're able to use maintenance guys on that property. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of the reasons why we're able to do that because it just added to our portfolio. If this was something that was all by itself in, you know, down somewhere it wasn't close to our other assets, maybe we think twice. But there's always other reasons for doing the deal. And that was really one of the one of the important factors that we saw. And at what point did you start syndication? What was the time frame? Was it like last year, two years ago? So we started, we actually, um, when we came off of our uh, first event, I signed up like 30 people in our event back in November of 2017. I said to Jake, I've got all these investors floundering. And that's the thing, when, you, when you're signing up investors, James, you have an important role. You need to mm-hmm. reach out to those investors and you need to make substantive relationships and you need to start giving them value or else they're going to fall off. So I felt compelled to say to Jake, we need to start creating you know, these relationships with these investors. We decided to hire somebody on and become a partner of that company the beginning of 2018, February, March, April. We started ramping up. Took us a few months to find our first deal. We find our first deal in August and that period time frame for us, our first syndication getting the PPM, the soft commitments, emails. It was pretty overwhelming and daunting, daunting, but we did a small deal. It was only $6 million. It was 132 units. It, it was it was a, a, something where you can like consume and do your first deal for us. We raised $2.6 million in two days because we had all the framework. We were ready to go. We had the investors. They were primed. We had the podcast. We had the, the brand out there. But one thing with the syndication that's a little different is things move really quickly. And it's it's a little nerve-wracking that you have to get everything in order. You have to get your emails out. You have to have your documents done. You have to have everything in order. You have to make sure that you know you, you get your webinars going and, and everything's spelled out clearly to your investors. And that's why it took us a little bit longer because we had never taken money from investors. So when it's your money and cash flow doesn't come in for the month, Jake says, Gino, septic field scrapped out. We're not getting paid this month. I can deal with it. It's, it's you know, it's one exactly. month. <laughs> investor. That's a little different. different. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Plus, yeah, there was a demand thing. We had people asking for it. And it was kind of like, at some point, we're either going to do we, we flirted with the idea for so long. It was either we're going to do it or not. So we, we gave it a shot. And that's the thing. We could have bought that deal without syndication, but I think it was just the ideal opportunity. It was a new market. It was small enough, small enough for us to say, you know what, we can handle this in in, in, with the syndication. Let's try it. You just got to commit and then figure it out. And that's what we ended up doing. We committed to doing it. We worked with a great attorney, Kim Taylor. She walked through the process. Uh, We had great team members. And then we just ended up pulling the trigger and we ended up closing in November of 2018. And we followed up with another uh, purchase in April of 2019, uh, about six weeks ago, we closed on the deal and um, added an additional 240 units in that market. So it's a great learning process. Once you do one, you figure it out, you figure out the ramifications, the webinars, the adding the investors on to documents, and then it just, it just rinse and repeat. Yeah. I think you guys are the example of why syndication exists, right? So syndication is not like a get rich scheme, right? Not everybody can do it. Not like somebody who's doing W2 you know, can do it. I mean, not not this, not say they must do syndication, right? So in my mind, syndication is like a mixture of an experience on operator, right? So you guys have 
proven that operator and there's some passive investors which want to place that money into this experienced operator right so mm-hmm. if, if 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 i'm getting some guy who's coming out from a boot camp or three day course and trying to do syndication that he doesn't have experience i mean he might be coached by someone who's experienced but i think that's where the syndication comes very powerful right when you marry that people who really want to be passive with people who are really really good at what they're doing and that's where you get the a beautiful marriage there right I yeah and i think also students who want to raise deals for others so james let's say you're coming short on a raise and you say hey listen i need to get somebody maybe mm-hmm. you can get somebody to raise money for your deal obviously they have to be comfortable with you as as the operator as mm-hmm. a sponsor and jake and gino's a sponsor but a lot of students start that way by raising money for other people's deals getting in the game putting a little learn skin in the game and learning how the syndication process works and then learning how much work there really is and saying wow this syndicator is not putting any money in this deal, but there's a lot of work. And there's a reason why there's no money going on the GP side because they're signing on the debt and they're doing a lot of work for this. And that's a great way for people to start getting in the business, raise a little bit of money for another syndicator if they need that platform, then learn that process. And that's how you learn the process. And then you can move on and start syndicating your own deals. Yeah, absolutely. Can you guys walk through the structure of your company, right? Because you have property management asset management you have renovation team you you know you do some kind of uh, mortgage brokering as well on top of that you have an education platform right so how big is the whole team you know probably you know not including vendors and, and whatnot, uh it's probably just shy 60 60 uh people 60 people and how many people i mean the Property management will be the biggest, I guess. Right? Oh yeah, property management is definitely the biggest, and you know I'm really excited. You know, we we do um, these weekly meetings. I'll meet with every property manager weekly. Uh, you know, we meet with the the managers of the different divisions of our companies, and we call them weekly L10s. Mm-hmm. And we're just really looking forward to this year because we're going to really bring everyone together. I think one of the biggest things is when you start to scale and you start to grow. That culture piece is is tremendous. Last year we did this big whitewater rafting trip. We brought everyone out. So we're looking for a, another event this year, but we're going to break down the barriers. We're, we're going to get the, the core values going, get the, get the t-shirts going, bring everyone together for an event. And it's going to be interesting because what we're trying to do now is even get those synergies amongst the, the different companies, jamming that much better together, get everyone, you know, uh, you know, walk into the same beat. And so I'm very excited about that. And how many people of 60 people's like uh, property management, do you have a number? We're, we're, we're going to be creeping up close to uh, 46, 47 on that soon. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, a couple on the um, the investment side of the business and then, uh, you know, a handful on the, on the JP and Gino education side. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Property management, you know, and that, that's including, you know, our renovation team called the CapEx crew. They are the, the, the elite Navy SEAL ninjas of property management and they, they, yeah. they go in when others can't, they get it done. So, yeah. So your renovation crew is in-house, but it's not really in-house in terms of financial, right? Because they're not supposed to be part of the PNL, right? Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So that's basically going through the, the property management group. Okay. Okay. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay, that's very interesting. And how did you guys? He wants to see an income statement now, Gino. Find <laughs> <laughs> out uh, because I'm just messing with you, man. No, no, so no the no, education. No. So James, I'll dive into the education a little bit more. We started the education about four years ago, October 2015. We launched the book Wheel of Our Profits behind me, and it was just me basically quit my restaurant and said, Jake, I need to do something. I'm in New York. Let's start a podcast. And we didn't know why we started the podcast. We should have probably started it to to get investors, but we just started because we wanted to learn. I mean, how many times can you speak to Ken McElroy or exactly. you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Robert <laughs> so for an hour, right? I mean, it's just amazing. So that's where we started. And then from that, we said, okay, how do we continue to build it? So we started selling 
creating educational products. We wrote the book. We have trainings on Kajabi. We have mentorships. We have coaching. And to grow and scale that business, I can't be doing one-on-one coaching all the time. So we hired um, a community director. We've got an operations manager in that business full-time. We've got three three part-time... Uh, we got three full-time sales guys. We've got... Uh, Four coaches right now. We have two deal, two deal review coaches on top of our accountability coaches. So as you start growing, you commit, you figure out, you start scaling up. But the real, real thing that you need to do is you need to get really qualified people. You need to get great people like Jake talks about with the culture. And our culture is basically blue collar work ethic. It's, we don't want to hear it's not my job because I'm still packing books. I'm still doing $5 an hour work when I have to. And Jake's doing the same thing. And I want that to convey to a small startup with Jake and Gino. And we're going to be able to expand this. We're going to be doing weekend events uh, to, to start selling more product. And we're going to start bringing on more sales guys. And as the community grows, I think that culture is going to be pervasive throughout all the entire organization where it's like customers first, you know, students first. It's not me. It's we. And whatever it takes to get done, I think that can permeate throughout all of the layers and all the multifaceted multifamily. And that's really important. So when we first started out, Jake and I, Jake will tell you, he thought culture was crap and he was working corporate because it didn't serve him. But I think as he sees it, it's everything right now. Because when you, when they see Jake and I working hard and, and doing that, it just you're the leader. You're supposed to be part. If you're going to put in a mission statement in words, and I got house rules over here. If you're not following your own house rules, how do you think your, your employees are going to follow the house rules? Yeah, James, nothing fires me up more than it's not my job. You want, <laughs> no, you want, no, to, see the, you want to see the roof come off this house right now. You want to see smoke start coming out of my ears. You know, That's where the one we, thing that I can't handle. You know, where when my wife and I get upset when somebody said, I do not know. I said, don't tell me I do not know. Tell me, I, I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, let's let's ask and, and, and work on it, you know. It's yeah. like... I, I can handle that a lot easier than it's not my job because that's like a moral and uh, work ethic issue and everyone else is working so hard and, and you're going to sit there and, and, and say something like that. So yeah, it's, a, it's a clash between ownership mentality. I mean, especially with the property management, right? Which is ownership mentality and employee mentality, right? Because a lot of times in property management or a lot of the people who are working there, you have this employee mentality, right? But owners, we are more, we want to see the profit. We want to be really part of the, you know, the profit center, make sure everything runs that's how we want for our investors mm-hmm. at the same time. Gino, Gino knows, you know, about the blue collar work ethic. We uh, we finished up a podcast with uh, who was the guy that used to be on Bigger Pockets? The who was the guy there? Uh, it was Brandon and Brandon Josh. Josh. Yes. Yeah, it was, no, it was Josh. It was when he was on, and we got a video. We were out there one day. A tree fell across one of our assets that we just bought, and and was laying across the sidewalk. You know, we the, we didn't have anybody at the time to do it, so Gino and I went down there, took out the chainsaw, chopped that bad boy up, threw it in the back of a trailer, and, and made a day of it. We got a video; I think it's still out there on YouTube. So it doesn't matter. I don't care what job it is; I'll do it all myself if we have to. It's not that's not how you scale. Number one, okay, that's I'm a mentality. But if it comes down to it, if that if it needs to be done and there's no one else to do it, I'm going in and I'm going to do it. It's yeah. just period. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's the work ethic, right? Sometimes you have to do it, right? So just, it just blow by mind. It's got to get done. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. So, and, and the idea is to build a machine and, and, and put the systems in place to make sure it runs fluidly. You know, every day, the best work that I can do is help working on the machine and building the machine, but it's not always going to be there. And, and sometimes, you know, a bolt falls off and if I got to be the guy to screw it back on, I'm going to do it. 
I think it's important to say that the, the machine isn't built from the very first day. In the very first day, you're going to grow as a person. So four years ago, I wasn't doing the high and best work of what I had to do. I was just doing whatever work I needed to do. But now as you scale and as you're able to do that, as you become financially free, you can start thinking about working uh, you know, on the business as far as the working in the business. In the first three or four years, Jake and I were really working in the business and we weren't able to create these multiple streams of revenue. We were just surviving and learning and that's fine. That's what everyone's progression is. But once you get into it and you start doing it, you can start transitioning out and start like what Jake said, start creating those systems. But if you don't start with the 25 unit property, you're never going to be able to do what, you know, what actually transpires after. Awesome. Let's go to some market selection uh, questions. Uh, how did sure. you guys select this market? Well, it's funny. Jake was uh, going down in 2011. He moved down there. And I had it on one of my other podcasts with my wife. He went to Knoxville, moved there for six months without his wife, struggled. I mean, it's not an easy thing. He left New York. He abandoned New York. And I'm up there at the restaurant. I just met him. And I'm like, Jake, these numbers work down here. Let's start looking at deals in Knoxville. And you know, his metrics for moving there were no state income tax, close to New York, decent weather, cost of living is great. So he moves to Knoxville. And ironically enough, that's what makes a pretty good market to invest in multifamily, right? Population so growth. <laughs> we got lucky. We, we got lucky with that one. Yeah. But um, we started investing. We started looking at deals. I think, you know, the Southeast is great. So like he said, we're vertically integrated. Within three hours of Knoxville, that's where we're looking. I mean, throw a dart. There's so many great cities around there to invest in that market. We don't want to go in the blue states. We want to stay... Texas is a little bit overbought. I mean, you know why? I mean, yeah. you have one of the most. You, you have an, an engine of economic growth there. People are flocking there because there's jobs there, because there's infrastructure there, and because people want to live there. So um, that's what's happening. So I think you know, as far as us, we just got lucky. We picked Knoxville, and now we're able to go out into these other markets that mirror what Knoxville is. In, in addition to that, too, we we have a specific strategy that we're looking to be the best customer service uh, property management company for C and B apartment uh, complexes. We own some A stuff, but it's not you know it's it's kind of because the deals worked and we bought it. But we see a discrepancy where C and B operators typically do not have that good a customer service. I love what Chick Fil A does with a seven dollar chicken sandwich. How are you doing today? It's a pleasure to serve you. How can I help you? It's that great customer service. And I truly believe that is a blue ocean. That is our blue ocean strategy. It's going to separate ourselves. And, and we brand all our properties. Rand, that's our property management company. So that when people pull up, they're going to know that these people care. We believe renting is personal and our residents are our number one priority. Okay, yeah. That's what we're about. And that's, that's the difference in how we run our properties. And I think long term, it's not going to happen overnight. That's a long term strategy that's going to take years to fully implement, but that's a separator from us and the other guys. So how do you guys standardize this, you know, uh, the awesome operator experience for class B and C? How do you standardize it across the well, organization? Yeah, well, first thing you do is you start going on training platforms like Grace Hill. You start systematizing platforms and training. We're creating our own internal training right now for our maintenance techs, and then we're going to training our leasing techs. That, that's really important to have something standardized to train them. And I'm doing the same thing on the, on the education. So when we onboard as a coach, I created a training platform for our coaches to watch videos and to show how to coach them. And it's the same way in anything. You want to be able to have something standardized where they're all playing and being, you know, playing from the same drum. So I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit as well, mm -hmm. sure. because so it starts with the basic stuff, like Gino mentioned, Grace Hill. Mm -hmm. Now, we also have a, a product called Kajabi, where we've taken the Grace Hill training and we, we have it's basically our elevated in-house training that we're putting mm -hmm. on the Kajabi platform, where we're teaching our guys if they don't know how to do something, we're having level one, two, three and four 
for maintenance techs, for example. And then there's a YouTube page where they can go on and actually from their phone remotely check the video. Oh, this is how I need to, you know, change out this, uh, this garbage disposal or thermostat, whatever the case may be. And, and so as we're going through, we're in the, like you're, you're talking to us as we're in the middle of launching this, this entire customer service uh, training program. In addition to that, it started with Grace Hill. We're moving it on to uh, Kajabi and we're working with Grace Hill and Kajabi at the same time. Okay. Uh, once we're done with the maintenance end of it, the, and we should be done in the next couple months with that end of it, it's then going to the full service customer service piece. We, we have weekend trainings now. I don't want you to think that we're just starting it, but this is how we have the full onslaught of our strategy implementation. In addition to that, we've started working with Petra, who is, uh, they, they work with scaling up. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, it, not Petra. Okay, it's Vern, so, Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up. Yeah, Scaling Up. So, and, and essentially, what we look, they look at people, strategy, execution, and cash. And, you know, we, we've gone through top grading and making sure we're getting eight players on a team. But the one piece to that is we fill our funnels up really full. We have all these ideas that we want to implement. So we have good strategy, we have good people, we have good cash, but it's that execution piece that we need to get better at. So, so you know, while we have an education company, we're open-minded and we know we can always grow and get better. So we're bringing in the best of the best. This, this is, you know, from everything I've seen, the best scale company in the country. And they're working on our business as we work on our business to make us the best customer service property management group in the industry. So that's... That's where we're going. The cool thing about the whole education platform is we never would have done this training internally if we didn't have Jake and Gino because Kajabi is our online training platform for the education. So it just bled over. And I mentioned that to Jake. I said, Jake, we need to do these videos to show the maintenance tech when he goes in how to change uh, how to change a, a toilet, how to fix um, a hot water heater. This can all be documented by training videos. So if we didn't have the education platform, this never would have been even been a thought in our minds. And I think the other thing, when you are going out as a business owner, keep your eyes open to what other businesses are doing. My son had uh, gotten a job down the street at, at a restaurant, and I was amazed at how many applications these people were taking in. They had an ADVP platform, and I said to Jake, this is another scaling up option where we can start onboarding our employees and it's just a great tool. So, you know, a tip for everybody out there, if you're in multifamily real estate, see what other industries are doing because you can adapt and pull from other industries and use it to your advantage. I mean, great, great tip. I want to talk about that a little bit though, Gino, because what we what we're basically getting with that is we've used ADP for years, but they have an uh, AD, I'm going to call it ADP plus. It's, mm-hmm. it's their whatever, you know, higher end product, but they will give us for all our different brands, we will have a, a very corporate and professional landing page now. So we have something called the Rand Pride video. It's it's, it's showing you know uh, showcasing our folks, talking about our culture. Uh, Gino and I have a history of the company video. All of these videos will go on these landing pages. So when uh, potential employees want to look at us, hey, that's what these guys are about. So we're selling ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. We are in the tightest job market in 60 years. Mm -hmm. So we need to be recruiting the best people in and we're not going to have a good organization. So we're doing everything we can to make it a great work environment, get great people in the door and keep them because once they come in, we have very low turnover. But, you know, from ourselves, marketing ourselves to the the outside world, we need to let them know what we're about. And then as they're coming through, they're putting their W-2 information all into the ADP. It's all electronically saved in the cloud, and that carries them through. It also has the HRIS software, so our HR folks can uh, manage that throughout the entire uh, lifespan of their uh, their time with us. So it's, it's, yeah. we're really focusing, like I said, on hard on 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 scale, culture, and operations because uh, you know the other things, the people, the strategy, the cash, we've done very well with. So it's that it's that execution 
and pulling it through, I think is going to propel us over the next 10 years. And, and Jake, do you need it when you have a hundred units? Maybe not. But if you're thinking mm-hmm. it's getting bigger, you're going to have to implement all these systems. Don't be overwhelmed with it now at the hundred unit mark. Just think that, you know, as you grow as a person, as in you grow as a business person, you're going to be able to figure out those ideas and go, you know what? Yeah, we're laying the framework to go from 50 to 500 employees. Essentially. Yeah, that's that's really good because I, I know Grace Hill because I use it as well. We use ADP, yeah. but I never heard about HRS. And I mean, I know about Kajabi, but I didn't know that you guys are using Kajabi. We so we blended Hill. the two together and then we're actually using a, a YouTube page for the videos so that they can get it right from the app on their phone. And, uh, you know, it's, it's coming to go together pretty nicely actually I'm there are so many app platforms out there though you can use yeah. Lightspeed. you can use mm-hmm. we like a job because we are one of the founders on there seven or eight years when they launched so mm-hmm. um we've been using it for a while we just got comfortable with it. there's so many different you know lms systems that out there so and and our and our you know the executives within our company they love uh you know building this because they see the need for it so they, they enjoy it and they're and they're great you know they're some of the ones out there filming uh well not filming uncle sean's doing that but actually uh you know doing the tutorials on the uh, the maintenance or the customer service service videos. So everyone's getting involved. And they're creating the assessments too, because you want to actually want have them watch a video and then do the assessments. So they're creating all that also, which is awesome. great. Awesome. Let's go into a deal deal level detail. How do you, I mean, let's say today you get a deal today, right? From broker off market, right? So what are the things that you would look at, look at it quickly to, to, you know, either reject it because I, I presume a lot of deals, you guys don't even underwrite it. Right. Uh, and some deals. Yeah, we do, we do a quick, we do a quick underwriting. So we're looking for cash flow from day one and the opportunity to force appreciation in the future. So what does that mean? You know, if it's, if it's a stabilized deal, we want to be, I'd love a six and a half cap. You know, if we're, if we're a little bit lower than that, you know, six to six and a half cap, I think we can typically make it work if it's in a good location, if we're going to syndicate that deal and, uh, and we're seeing, you know, 8%, you know, cash on cash. Uh, we like that. And, you know, that, that typically will, will, then we'll take it to the next level and start looking a little deeper. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. And I presume in deep value, it really doesn't matter on the entry cap rate, right? Only on the... Well, I mean, I mean, let's uh, let's talk about that. So the deal we just bought, you know, if you're talking about actuals, was uh, you know, like probably like a two percent, maybe maybe like a five cap, and it was a uh, a beat to crap 1970s build. Yeah. But you know, but but what are we talking about? Like, do we really care what the cap rate is on that deal? No, because we know when it's stabilized, the cap rate is going to be more like a twelve. Correct. So you just, it, it's, it's again, keeping your mind open to each deal. What can I do? And what's the opportunity with this deal? How do we want to take it down? Is it going to be an in-house buy? Is it going to be, you know, uh, a bridge financing, whatever the case may be? Is it agency or is it a syndicated deal? You know, all these things weave together. And that's the beauty of, of you know, this, this game is that we have multiple things that we can do to extract value and, uh, and create great things. And so yeah. it's, uh, you know, it gives us an opportunity to have fun with it. And, and James, and that deal that Jake's uh, was speaking about specifically, if we're in at twenty six thousand a unit, we need to add another four or five thousand. If you're into it for thirty one thousand a door, I, I know that that asset in, in right now is trading over fifty a door. So I know that that right there is a home run for us. So that's another way I like to look at the per unit cost of what we're buying, and I like to look at the expenses. If I'm underwriting a deal, and we can, we know that the expenses should be forty two hundred, and the operator is running it at forty nine hundred, we know there's value in there. Um, if if there's an income, uh, other income that they're generating that's only two percent. We know typically we can get 10 to 12% of other income. There's another income, you know, there's another value add right there. So we're looking for those. And, you know, you'll hear from brokers every day of the week that you can raise rents, you can raise rents. Mm-hmm. Do I have to spend 10K a door to raise a $50 rent or can I spend 3K a door and get that same $70 rent bump? So you have to really, you know, try to 
analyze the market. And I think the other thing you need to be careful of is where you're buying. Um, you know, marginal areas, you're not going to get as much elevation right now. And it's a little bit more riskier. So, you know, we're just buying an asset right now. It's in a great location. We like it. Jake likes to say he likes to be our Kroger's. Whole Foods and Chick-fil-A's. If you can buy in that location, you'll Starbucks, be you know, bring it on. Right? <laughs> so you guys do value add, right? So let's say your value add budget, I mean, your rehab budget got cut into, you know, half, right? 50% of what you have. First of all, let me ask you, what is the most- Why did that happen? And are we playing the what if game? <laughs> you never know. It's more of a theoretical <laughs> question because I want to I wanna tune your mindset to a question that I want to ask. So what is the most valuable value add that you guys have seen? What is the most valuable value add? Like, what is like, did we get the most out of doing flooring? Did we get the most out of yes, doing... Yes, correct. Like Let's say your budget got cut right now. You have a small amount of budget. That's a great right? question. It, it depends on what property you're looking at. Because some properties may, if you put a dog park and you fix up the clubhouse and you do a good job at the pool, you may not see incremental value on that. But all of a sudden, you're keeping the tenants and, and you're at, you have to compete with uh, the property down the street. So on one of our properties, we put a dog park in. We've put a fitness center in, we did a nice job in the clubhouse and we actually did pool in the decking. That didn't translate. I'm thinking it did translate into increased uh, value and increased rents, but it also made us be able to compete with uh, other people in the market space. I think landscaping, people don't underestimate it. Power washing, landscaping, and painting are three of the most important things. And our property we took over in November, we actually had rents at 525. They went to 675. And, and we saw in the Google reviews that tenants were saying, you know what, these people are raising rents, but they care. Customer service. That's one of the biggest value adds. Customer service. We put out exterior lighting so they feel safe at nighttime. We took care of the landscaping there. We put in a gazebo there. We striped the parking lot and sealed the parking lot. We put in a dog park there. Signage was really important there. Not huge amounts of money, but anything to turn the look of the property, the feel of the property. You want to show your tenants and any of your customers that you're adding value and not just going there and raising the price. Because at the end of the day, why are you raising the price on me if you're not giving me some type of value? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll dive into it a little bit more too. Yeah. I mean, the, the basics that, you know, I feel like you, that you have to go with a lot of times are, I, I personally love sheet vinyl. I know a lot of people want to put in the plank and, and this thing. We have this amazing, it's called Nature's Trail, if anyone wants to go out and look at it. It's, it's, it's skinny, it's wide, so it looks like the barn style flooring. It's a beautiful, yeah. it's got a great, great tones in it. Installed, we're $1.74 a square foot. You can't, oh, I mean, okay. that's phenomenal, okay? And it goes in, it looks beautiful, it looks like there's hardwood throughout. So if I had to really get down to bare bones and I'm turning into a complex, I'm going in with my Nature's Trail, I'm going in with my Repose Gray, and I'm going white on the wood. Okay, so the okay. woodwork, the, the trim, and, and the baseboard. I'm, I'm going a, a nice pure white Sherwin Williams. I think it's like seven zero zero four or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and and then if I, in addition to it, you know, we did uh, the the property we did in December. Uh, we we were like, okay, let's pull back a little bit because we we're painting the cabinets. Okay, right? and we saw a little bit of a spike in uh, in our available units. So we went back in, we reassessed it, and we said, you know what? It looks too damn good not to. It's an extra 350 bucks. Let's just keep painting the cabinets, and then we're back to zero available units. So it's, it's always, I think, and this goes back to what you are saying earlier about being a hands-on operator. Looking at these things, looking at your KPI saying, what the hell? Why did we spike? Oh, it was my fault because we were being cheap. 
So we went back in and, uh, and now we're filling them back up like that. So, and, and at the same time, Jake, also, yeah. you don't have to spend $170 on a ceiling fan. Maybe you see your supplies spiking like they did a year and yeah. a half ago and saying, hold on, this unit doesn't need a $170 ceiling it's fan. It's a beautiful $75 ceiling fan. They're beautiful. Yep. Yeah. So you can turn assess- the fan blades. You get, you know, they're multicolor here. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but do you guys think that, uh, I don't know, this is my experience that I've seen. Right? I mean, a lot of times you can put in CapEx and all that, but I think, I think the management itself, just managing it correctly, people are just so happy paying you fifty to seventy-five dollars more. We even you're talking about, you, but you're talking about customer service then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Customer service. Yeah, correct. I'm just saying yeah. that's. I'm not saying that's the most valuable value add, but I'm just saying in terms of. Uh, I'll say it. <laughs> that's it's one. Thing. Have, listen, if you come in and you say it's a, it's a pleasure to see you, it's a pleasure to serve you. How may I help you? What can we do to make your unit better? Uh, we have this unit today. We're going to treat you like gold. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that over the uh, the oh, new yeah. paint. Yeah, and Jake. Also, the other thing is when they call for a maintenance request, don't let them wait six days for a hot water heater. Yeah. You have to get to them when we. You're took not our- going back to the hot water heater on me again, are you? Come on, man! I love the hot water heater. Like, Come listen, on! How long did that take? <laughs> we, no, we, he was staying at my house the other day, and then oh, the hot water okay. heater went out. Like I've never heard the end of it. <laughs> no, but listen, we took over a third property. I remember Jake was. I was in the restaurant, and Jake is sending emails. We're turning units, and we had a custom client come in uh, and saying, "Started crying because we fixed his stove." He didn't have his stove for how long, Jake? It was just like the silliest thing in the world. I mean, come on. So, I mean, the customer service is really when you get a maintenance request, send out the maintenance tech and get it done. You know, that's simple. Yeah, it's it's just amazing on you. Just take care of the tenants, of the residents, and they are so happy to pay you so much money compared to, Mm -hmm. I need a new ceiling fan. I I mean, that's all secondary for me, what I see, right? So, it looks like we share the same concept as well. So, um, let's go back to a bit more personal stuff. So maybe one, one by one, right? Why do you guys do what you're doing? Yeah, I'll, I'll get into Jake, that. Jake just, Why are you yeah, doing no, this whole thing? It just, it, it literally is about control and freedom for me. Uh, I am responsible for myself and my family. And I was not in a position of control or a position where my family's life was secure. It was it was in the hands of others, and I did not feel good about that. I ultimately, at the end of the day, am responsible for everything that comes into my environment, and I need to handle that. Uh, multifamily gave me an opportunity to, to take control of my destiny, and you know, by adding value to others, I was able to, in return, receive value. And it's been a uh, it's been a phenomenal thing for me because I don't want to be you know dependent on Wall Street. I don't want to be dependent on a CEO's decisions. I, I have a lot of faith and confidence in myself and Gino, and I know if we, we do the right thing, it'll it'll come back to us. And it, again, it's it's just uh, something that I don't ever want to be in a position where my family uh, is worried about. You know, where's their next meal going to come from? Great thing about all this is we've created abundance in our lives, and you know, we started something called Rand Cares last year, and we were able to actually feed ten thousand kids wow. for Thanksgiving. And so, you know, we'll see, uh, see if we can match that or do about 15 this year, Gino. And, and so it's when, it's when you bring abundance into your life. You can't help someone else if you don't have the means to do it. So, so by us driving the ship, we've been able to create abundance. We've been able to create good homes for folks. And uh, we've been able to give back. So that's, that's been uh, pretty special. Awesome. What about you, Gino? Why do you do what you do? I wouldn't know what to do if I didn't know what I was doing right now. That's basically <laughs> I, 
I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty much financially secure. If I didn't have Jake and Gino, I could just probably go off the draws of the property, but that gets to be a little boring after a while. Yeah. So I'm doing what I really like. I mean, the education, growing a business. I always wanted to grow a business from the ground up. I always wanted to help people out um, by buying properties and by, you know, coaching them and motivating and inspiring them. And if I can, if I can monetize on that, a home run for me. So I, I enjoy what I'm doing right now. I mean, it took me a long time to figure out. And it's funny because I, I feel sad for kids coming out of college and going, what do you want to do when you get older? If you're an adult and you figure that out by the time you're an adult, you're a little lucky. Most adults mm-hmm. can't do that. So there's a lot of pressure on kids to do that. So, um, you know, Jake talks about it, you know, follow, don't follow your passion. I mean, sometimes if you're, you're passionate about opening a restaurant and that's what you want to do, but Sometimes it turns into a job. So you just be careful. You know, if you're lucky enough to become financially free and then figure out what you want to do and do something that you love, I think that's like the most important thing in the world for me. He's, he's being humble right now. The G Dad <laughs> is a giver. He likes helping people. And, and you know, not for nothing, the education has allowed people to buy over 3,000 apartment units. And I know that's what Gino gets excited about. You know, it's it's helping other people and, and it's it's that, that giving back piece because it is, it's a tremendous community that we have and, and the folks inside the community are all like-minded, hardworking individuals. And I think it's because of you know, the sort of, you know, persona that we give off and, and, and we tell people about the values and, and, and necessarily what we're about and, and people are connecting, they're converting and it's, it's been, you know, amazing to watch and they'll get inside the private Facebook group. Hey, we just knocked out a hundred units today. And then everyone gets on and is congratulating. How'd you do it? Let's hear about the deal. And it's just, it's become a, a great network. And we just, uh, we, uh, we love to see this, the continued success. The phone calls that you get and the masterminds when you're on when you when a student says, I just left my job or I'm leaving New York and I'm moving somewhere else, that's that's really worth a lot, man. Because when you get those emails saying, Hey, you know, you've changed my life, there's something that you know you can't replace that. That's something that you can't put a dollar amount on because you're helping others and you change somebody's life and you change somebody's family's life. And that multiplies and affects the people that they know. So that's really cool. That's one of the cool things about the education. Yeah, that's that's one thing that you bring to your to your end days, right? So it's not mm-hmm. about the money. Money you can, I mean, you can count. You can you usually forget how much you made, but the appreciation that people have shown you for helping them, right? Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's big. Second, second personal question: uh, Do you? I mean, this is probably each one of you can answer. Maybe you can combine together. Is there a proud moment in your life that you think you will never forget? That that moment really impacted you then and you were really really proud of that moment and you're going to tell that stories to your grandkids. yeah i, I got one i got one coming up now and it's not <laughs> it's not about myself it's it, mm-hmm. it, it has to do with gino as well uh we were at the event last year um we had a phenomenal uh, event in nashville you know and, and gino calls them the gurus right I, I don't know we had over 500 people there or whatever and it was all about multifamily for two days and just great speakers it's, it's our, our annual event multifamily mastery and that the, it wasn't a necessarily uh anything other than it created an opportunity for my daughter and and she went out there and Gino's kids were there and and they were learning business. And we, we had some fun shirts. They said like Jake and Gino or multifamily master or something. But my daughter at the time was three years old. She went out and started networking with people hmm. and she actually sold a shirt for like, you know, 15 or 20 bucks. And uh, she came over and she was so proud. She hugged me and told me about it. And I was able to announce it to the whole room and the whole room like erupted because <laughs> it was just, you know, this little girl going out there and then she was making it happen. So I'll never, I'll never forget that. And it just, it was, you know, because of the community that it created that moment for me. So that, that, that was very special for me. So 
We'll leave it at that because I've got so many stories, but that's <laughs> take one story, one story that, then. <laughs> that embody that embodies. Um, I mean, one of my proud moments, March 1st, 2016, when I left the restaurant. And it wasn't because um I was leaving a bad situation. It was finally saying to myself that I achieved something that I had been working for forever. I finally was saying to myself, I don't have to do that anymore. I've been there doing it for 20 years, over 20 years, locked in the same job. And if I can change after 20 years and having those limiting beliefs and being able to grow and do something different, I think I just want to inspire other people to do that. So that was really a proud moment in my life. Awesome. Awesome. We at the end of the show. Why not you guys tell the audience and listeners about how to get in touch with you guys? He's the sales guy, so I'll let him shoot. <laughs> no, listen, if, if, if you can't find us, we're not doing our job very well, but it's really simple. JakeandGino.com, RandPartnersLLC.com if you're looking to invest, or RandCapLLC.com if, uh, if you're looking for the debt side of things. So, and please subscribe to the uh, podcast. We have, we have the number one multifamily podcast on iTunes called Wheelbarrow Profits. We have four shows now. I've actually launched the show with my wife called Multifamily Zone. We have the Movers and Shakers podcast, which highlights a student success every week. And then we have the Rand, Rand Partners podcast on syndication. So we're doing shows. We like going out there. That's Hold part on, of our passion, right? Hold on, you know, there's more. We're going to give a teaser. So we got, we got <laughs> the, we, we had the best-selling book, Wheelbarrow Profits on Amazon. And we're following it up this year, right? We got the honeybee coming out in October. This is a... Uh, Man, we put a lot of work into this thing. It is, it's a phenomenal book and it tells a great story. And this is not your traditional uh, business book. You know, give, give, give a little bit more on that. What, what would you say about The Honeybee? It, it's a parable basically about a, a gentleman who's frustrated. Uh, he's very similar to Jake's story. Um, going around, has a boss, hates his job, and then just stumbles upon an older man who's willing to mentor him and find out that, you know what? There's more to it. How do you have all this? The analogy of a river with little tributaries growing into a big, big Russian river. And it's all about creating multiple streams of income, starting small, making mistakes. And then all of a sudden, five years later, you've created something really great. So um, we just wanted to translate our successes and just have people open up to the idea of you can start small, but create those businesses. And then from one little stream of revenue, you can end up having four and five like you do, James, and like we do. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'll just leave with this because the one the one thing that I really picked up from Gino early on in, in our investing career was to get rid of limiting beliefs. I know it's a it's like a big Tony Robbins thing as well, and people talk about this, but it's so impactful because you know you'll sit there and say, "Oh, I can't do that." Well, you're right. If that, if that's the way you're going to think about it, you're right. I, I grew up in a super small town on a dirt road out in the middle of nowhere, and that's the truth. And you know, we've been able to grow, you know, this business to you know over you know 100 million in assets, and you know, created financial freedom and generational wealth for our families. So there was, you know, it, literally in the town that I grew up in, it was you could you could work at the school. There was a factory that made chairs, and and you know, my family was like, well, maybe you should be a cop or a gym okay. teacher. <laughs> well, no, I, well, that, that's, that's why I went to be, you know, I literally went to school to be a gym teacher because I, I played sports and that's all, that's all I knew. So don't limit yourself because look, multifamily is not rocket science. It really isn't. Get, get educated. I always say education times action equals results. It's possible for anyone out there to do it, especially a, a pizza guy and a drug rep were able to do it. So yeah, I always tell people, if you think there's no deal out there, you are right. Yes. If you think there's deal out there, you're absolutely right too, right? So, <laughs> yes, I love that. It's always uh, it's a mindset that uh, you have to get away from, right? Listen, mm-hmm. looking at deals for two, three weeks and then having them not pencil out can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. Try two years. That's how long it took this guy and I to get into our first deal. So I always said, you know, the best thing we ever did, we, we were pesky. We hung in there. You kept riding. 
Yeah, right. persistence, exactly. All right, guys, thanks for joining this podcast. Uh, you guys had tons of value and uh, very happy to have you here. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Thanks, Stanzinowski. I'll see you later. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audio book. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.